You're listening to the PK Experience Podcast, where I get inside the minds of today's impact players so I can figure out how they do what they do and then share that with you with the intent to ultimately inspire you to live up to your potential and make a greater impact in the world as well. My name is Peter King. I'm the host of the show. And today's impact player is Gary Brecca. Gary is the CEO of Streamline Medical Group. He is a human biologist and blood chemist. He's somebody that can examine your blood and figure out what's deficient in your body and ultimately how is that playing itself out in your life. So uh, I actually did a blood analysis with him, did a call, he gave me a custom overview of what was, you know, what are the deficiencies that I have? What are areas of improvement that I can do so that I can not go through my day feeling groggy or, or absent-minded or just, you know, at, not at full potential, not at full energy. Um, I've not gone through the whole process just yet with him, but the analysis alone was so eye-opening and th- he just brings a new perspective that I've never really heard before. And it was the reason why I wanted to invite him onto the podcast. So, there's a lot of really great information in here. I think truly that there's information here that can change your entire life uh, if properly applied. I'm not a doctor. I have no license. Take this as your information only. Do your own research, etc. But um, again, so far it's been something that's been very eye-opening for me in my personal experience. But again, uh, I will let you make that determination yourself. There's a lot of really great info in this call. I'm excited to share it with you. So with that, why don't we get into it? Here I am with Gary Brecca. All right, I'm here with Gary Brecka. Gary, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. I th- there are a few calls that I anticipate have have anticipated more and or more, have been more excited about than this call. Uh, I'm a little nervous, and I will tell you wow. why. It's because <laughs> I've done a uh, I I had the pleasure of doing a a custom blood work analysis with you, and you were identifying you know when I was waking up, when I was feeling achy, when I was feeling fatigued to the hour. And uh, so I'm a little nervous to get some of this information because I feel like you're going to blow my mind to the point where I'm like, oh, this is what I've been missing my whole life. I've been looking for this. So Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot in the blood. So much, man. So uh, as I said, it kind of really blew me away. But before we get into that, why don't we just give people a brief background about who you are and, you know, what your what your what your experience has been that leads you up to this point? Sure. Um, well, I'm, my name is Gary Breck. I'm the CEO of uh, Streamline Wellness, and we're a nationwide um, uh, consortium of wellness clinics, chain of wellness clinics. Um, we're across eight states at the moment. But uh, by way of background, uh, I wasn't always in the wellness space. Um, in fact, for the better part of 20 years, I was a mortality expert for the insurance industry. And so essentially what that means is if I got a hold of five years of your medical records and five years of demographic data on you, I could tell the insurance company um, how long you had to live to the month. And not only how long you had to live to the month, but you know, meaning where were you on your mortality curve, but what was the statistical chance that you would die before that mean? And what it really boiled down to was a whole lot less sophisticated than what most people would like it to be. And that is that... You know, we found three core components uh, to optimal health that not only extended your lifespan, but also extended your health span. Um, But they also things that accelerated disease, accelerated mortality, and essentially eroded um, basic biometric function. And so I really like to talk about those a lot because, uh, you know, know, they're about getting back to the basics. Um, You know, very briefly, they are... uh, 
hormone balance, uh, glycemic control, which is essentially controlling your blood sugar, um, and certain key nutrient deficiencies. Um, you know, hey, Gary, do you, could I could I interrupt you really quick? Do you have? Can you yeah. pull the computer a little bit closer? Because I'm at, the, the audio is a little bit low. Yeah, how's that? Is that a little better? Oh, much better. Thank you. Actually, much better. It's such important information. I don't want people to miss it. Okay, now it's breaking up my mind. How is that? Is that better? That's perfect. Yeah, thank okay, you. Okay, great. Uh, so you were you were going over the the core components hormone. So you know when we were when we were trying to predict how long people would live, um, what we had to do is we had to look at what are the factors that accelerate death, but not only that accelerate death, but you know cause disease pathology. Um, and how do you spot them in a 25-year-old, in a 28-year-old? I mean, it's very easy if you have a terminally ill patient or you have someone who's very, very elderly. Mm -hmm. But let's say you have a 30-year-old healthy male. No other issues going on. How long is that person going to live? What's going on inside his biome that's keeping him from being absolutely optimal? And, you know, when we talk about optimal health, you know, especially to younger folks, um, you know, talking about cardiovascular disease and dementia and Alzheimer's and heart attacks and stroke risk and all that doesn't really appeal to them. But the truth is that changes, minor changes in your health profile now, not only increase libido, substantially improve your response to exercise, elevate your um, waking energy, deepen your delta wave of sleep, improve your cognitive function, and improve your overall general appearance. But they happen quickly and they can happen now. So, you know, disease and prevention is some lofty, not so distant point in the future, but optimal health is right now. I mean, if you could sleep better, feel better, have more energy, um, increase your libido, improve your response to exercise, generally improve your overall appearance, um, then those changes are immediate, right? And, and then what they do is they start to affect all of the non-touch points in our life, self-image, self-esteem, our career, our relationships. So very often when I read... Uh, blood labs to somebody, I will talk about uh, what level of success they have in their life. Um, I can see how passionate you are or the lack of passion. I can see um, whether or not you're likely to have very meaningful relationships in your life and whether or not you're really likely to succeed in your career. So really I mean, this, this, is, this is where you start to really blow my mind personally. And, and I see it because, you know, it, it's silly to sort of think about, but you get the right vitamin, you get the right sleep, you then wake up, you have, you're, better, you're more productive, you're more energetic, you have more patience, you're going to have better quality relationships, you're going to make better quality decisions. I mean, the, the ramifications of dialing this in is astronomical for somebody's you know, uh, life wellness, basically. Right. And, it's, and it's, it's a little different than a lot of people think. So for example, when you, you know, look at a normal red blood cell, I mean, or sorry, you look at a normal um, blood test, right? Um, almost every blood test that's pulled with the hospital or your doctor's office or physical exam or what have you has a section called the CBC, the complete blood count. And this is where they go into the contents of your blood and they literally just count up the contents of your blood. How many white blood cells do you have? How many red blood cells do you have? And most of the time when all that is normal, a physician will say, hey, there's nothing wrong with you. Everything's normal. But most of my patients are not interested in being normal. Um, most of my patients are being interested in being optimal. In fact, this patch right here is because we just recently did a deal with the NFL Alumni Association to care for all the retired athletes that are leaving the Coliseum, right? Uh -huh. That are finished with the NFL um, game and are going back into normal life and still want to maintain optimal health or those that left a long time ago are trying to get it back. So just take a quick example of a normal CBC, right? 
And you can think of a red blood cell as a tennis ball. And there's a fluid inside that tennis ball called hemoglobin. And inside the hemoglobin, that's where oxygen is bound. And what's meaningful about that is everything that you perceive about energy is oxygen in your blood. So if you said, Gary, I had a lot of energy today, physiologically, what you're saying is I had a lot of oxygen in my blood today. Mm -hmm. So if I could improve, which we can safely and very effectively, if we can improve your blood's capacity to carry oxygen, then I can instantly improve your waking energy. And I'm not talking about caffeinated stimulatory energy. I'm talking about real visceral waking energy. And if I can improve the oxygen carrying content of your blood, then I can also improve your cognitive function. Mm -hmm. And quite frankly, I can also improve the depth of your delta wave of sleep. Because what I often ask physicians when I look at a blood test is I say, hey, why are the patients that are the most exhausted sleep the worst? And you know, the face goes a little blank. And I say, well, first of all, let's talk about why they're exhausted. They're exhausted because their blood is hypoxic. It's a medical term for it lacks adequate levels of oxygen. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean you're not breathing well. It means you're your blood's not holding on to it and carrying it well. Hmm. So when that happens, right, as our blood oxygen level drops, we get tired. And so we're exhausted. But if we were to then look at what is the brain's primary function, like what is the brain's hierarchy, priority of events throughout its day? Its number one priority is blood oxygen, meaning there is nothing that your brain will not do to, to maintain adequate levels of oxygen in your blood. You know, if you stood up from where you're standing right now, went for a brisk walk, mm -hmm. your cardiovascular rate, your respiratory rate would increase. Why? Not because your brain knows you're walking, but because your brain sees blood oxygen dropping. Mm. And as blood oxygen drops, your brain raises blood oxygen by increasing respiration, increasing cardiovascular rate. Well, what happens when you sleep? Okay, so let's say you're exhausted and you lay down and go to sleep. What's the first thing that happens when you start going into a delta wave of sleep? You start respiring more shallow, start breathing more slowly and breathing more shallow. So what does that mean? I'm bringing in less oxygen. But wait, you just told me my blood doesn't carry oxygen well. That's right. Now you bring less oxygen into a blood profile that can't transport oxygen well, and you're hypoxic. What happens? Your brain panics. So what does it do? It wakes you up. Well, how does it wake you up? It pulses cortisol. So you mean to tell me that I'm exhausted and the entire night that I'm sleeping, my brain is doing minimal pulses of cortisol to mm. keep me from suffocating? Mm. Yes. That's exactly what's happening. And then what happens, the shameful side of it is that a lot of people go to their primary care doctor and say, hey, doc, I can't sleep. And the doctor goes, okay, well, here's some zolopenum nitrate, some diazepam, some Xanax, or, you know, Ambien, what have you. And then they take that. And you know what that does? It doesn't let you sleep. It just blocks the brain's view of blood oxygen. And now the brain can't see the deprived oxygen level and save you. So it lets you go into a hypoxic state. So everybody that wakes up from Ambien or Tylenol PM or Zolopedum nitrate or any of these things says, man, I hate taking that stuff. It's still in my system the next day. It's actually not in your system the next day. You're feeling the effects of having suffocated for the last six hours. Oh, jeez. Suffocated. So you're making your condition worse. Here's the good news. <laughs> you can go into that profile and fix it like that. How do you do that? I knew you would say, how do you do that? <laughs> magic I, I, I knew you would say that. Um, so how do you fix it? What you do is you restore the biometric pathway. 
right? And this is what I try to tell our physicians and clinicians and practitioners. Listen, before we go looking for disease and pathology, let's just make sure that we've restored the biometric pathway. So where does oxygen, raising oxygen in your blood begin? Well, first of all, we know oxygen is carried by red blood cells. More red blood cells, more hemoglobin, more oxygen. Okay, so then the natural question is, where are red blood cells and hemoglobin made? Okay, well, they're made in the bone marrow. Mm. That's the factory. That's the manufacturer for healthy blood. Mm. Okay, well, who is the boss of the bone marrow? Who tells the bone marrow what to do? A hormone called testosterone in men and women tells the bone marrow what to do. In fact, that signal is called erythropoiesis. I'm sorry, did you say that was in both men and women? In both men and women. Okay. You show me a testosterone deficient female, clinically deficient testosterone male, I will show you a deficient red blood cell count, deficient um, levels of hemoglobin, and I will show you a patient that's exhausted. Complains mm. of exhaustion, they complain of brain fog, they complain of fatigue, poor response to exercise. Mm. Um, they don't equate it to a hormone level because hormones they create equate to be, you know, having libido or um, water retention or being moody. They don't equate it to their energy level. How do hormones relate to energy? Well, hormones are the signal to the bone marrow to tell the bone marrow what to do. So now I get the bone marrow's boss involved and I, and I restore an optimal level of hormone so that I have an optimal signal to the bone marrow. So the question is, how do you restore an optimal level of hormone? Surprisingly, the majority of the time, it's without hormones. The majority of our patients, the clinically deficient levels of testosterone and free testosterone, men and women don't need hormone therapy. Hmm. You need to go beneath the soil. You need to keep going in that biometric pathway. And you say, okay, this person's a healthy 35, 40 year old, 25 year old, 28 year old, male or female, and they're tired, they're exhausted. And I look at their hormone profile and their testosterone levels are floored out or they're really, really low. The last thing on the face of the earth you wanna do for that person is put them on hormones and make them dependent on hormones for the rest of their life. Which is what but so now, many people do. <laughs> which is what, yeah, unfortunately, what a lot of clinics uh, yeah. do. And, um, you know, you're a 60-year-old male, that's a different story. But, you know, a 30-year-old male, 25-year-old male, 24-year-old, right. 29-year-old female, 45-year-old female, do you really want to be dependent on hormones the rest of your life? So now what we do is we go below the hormone. We say, well, how are hormones made? Hormones are made from something called DHEA, and they're made from vitamin D3. So if you're clinically deficient in vitamin D3, you're very likely to be clinically deficient in something called DHEA, dihydry, epi, and D. There's no quiz on that. I see you writing that down. But <laughs> I just, I'm going to Google it later. I want to <laughs> oh, yeah, you can definitely Google it. This is really sound science. And if, you, if there's anything that I ever say, and you want the scientific rationale for my statement, you just ask, and I will send you the links. Because I am a big, big believer in not only um, say what you mean and mean what you say, but you should be able to back it up with sound um, science, you know, well, clinically backed research. If I could pause you right there, because one of my main questions to you is everything that you've shared with me on our call previously and now and what I've seen of you online, it all makes so much sense. Why is this not standard information? Why is this? Some would even say controversial. I mean, it just, it's backed by science. What? Yeah, the interesting thing is it's not controversial once you understand it. Right. It's controversial when you don't understand it, right? <laughs> so 
um, a lot of the allopathic community, you know, MDs, um, they go to school for a long period of time and they're learned and trained to look for disease and pathology. And, and that's a specialized skill, right? When you pick up a lab report on a patient, you want to say, hey, is there something going wrong in the endocrine system? Are they in kidney failure? Are they in liver failure? Do they have blood uh, glycemic control issues that I need to worry about? Are their enzymes out of whack? Are they dehydrated? And if not, then that's considered the absence of disease is considered the presence of health. Mm. And that's not a true connection. Mm -hmm. Right. My, my patients don't just want to be disease free. They don't want to just not have diabetes or not be obese or not be at risk for cardiovascular disease. They want to be optimal. They want to be beasts. They want to be out there at the top of their game. And let me promise you something. You will never release or you will never reach your purpose and you will never achieve your passion in life without your physiology. Mm -hmm. Those three P's are inexorably connected. Passion, purpose, and physiology. Mm. And what happens is the majority of us spend all of our time self-help, motivational books, um, following gurus, reading on how to plan to build my business, reading on how to motivate myself. How do I orient my mind and gratitude? And how do I think positive thoughts and positive vibrations through my biome? And all of that is very important. But your physiology is like the Chinese proverb about the stream over the rock right? The physiology will always drag you back down into the state where you can most comfortably exist. Hmm. I'll give you an example. That's pretty profound. If you were to look at the lowest form, the lowest frequency, lowest vibration, lowest oxygen required emotions, and you were to name them, which take the least amount of neurotransmitters, dopamine, norepinephrine, epinephrine, um, serotonin, which take the least amount of oxygen. What are those emotions? Meaning emotions that all of us have readily access to, even if we're sick, even if we're in pain. Well, if you look at those emotions, you'd see that they're anger, resentment, jealousy, despair, depression, uh, mood numbness, irritability, wow. right? Those are very, very, very easy to access. Almost 100% of the population has the physiology to touch those emotional states. Now let's move up a tier, right? To calmness, happiness, right? Joy. If you actually look at the neuronal cascade that's required to experience those emotions, it takes more blood oxygen. They're higher physiologic states. Wow. It takes more neurotransmitters. It takes more energy. Many people don't have the physiology, the physiology to experience those emotions. That's crazy. That's crazy. So that's you're, you're when I look at your, so, yeah. your lab, sometimes I'll say, listen, I can tell your passion doesn't meet your physiology. And you go, oh, my God, that's so true. That is crazy. Person and I'm just not. You're talking about literally the building blocks of emotions, the physiology of emotions and how, how some people aren't even able to experience certain emotions because they don't necessarily have the proper building blocks to sustainably feel those emotions. I, I should. Absolutely true. They do not have the building blocks to form those emotions. You don't Can have the physiology to get there. In fact, if you move up another tier, right? Let's move up another tier. Okay. Passion, elation, arousal, right? Those are, those are all the fun ones, right? Gary, uh, you're arousing me right now. I'm, I'm getting... <laughs> I think it's my tight shirt, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> um, 
you know, passion, elation, arousal, right? Those emotions take an enormous amount of energy. They take high levels of oxygen. They take their high functioning physiologic state. They're high frequency, high vibratory. They take a lot of neurotransmissions. Mm. So you need to be physiologically capable of creating those emotions. So what I try to do is I try to move patients up a tier or two tiers so that they have readily access Mm. to those emotions so that gratitude and passion and elation and arousal and joy all come very easy. Mm. So for example, let's Mm. take, let's take two blood profiles and I can, I can absolutely scientifically back this. And if you'd like to see the research, there's some phenomenal emotional physiologic research that's going on right now. Be happy to share it with you. Please. Yes. Two people that have different physiologic states. Okay. They both get cut off by the same driver on the same way home in traffic. So someone that's in a low physiologic state, low red blood cell, low hemoglobin, right? Has access, readily access to anger. Gets cut off, beeps, flips the bird, rolls down the window, bop, 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 barks out the window, a couple expletives, whips out around the person, goes blasting down the road, spends 15 minutes talking to the passenger about what just happened, about Mm -hmm. how much they hate going to work, they hate driving in traffic, they can't stand Miami any longer, nobody knows how to drive, everybody's an idiot, on and on and on, like a freight train, right? Then they get home, they carry that emotion right through dinner. Some of them go to bed and they wake up still feeling that incident. Mm-hmm. Why? Because their physiology drugged them into that state. Wow. And take the same event with someone with perfected blood physiology. Gets cut off in traffic. They're going to beep. Maybe they pop the bird. They go out around the person. By the time they're three car lengths ahead, that incident is gone. Yeah. It's left. Why? Because they have the physiology to check that neurotransmittal pathway. They can shut the stimulus off. The stimulus doesn't become a runaway train. We call these people hypochondriacs, drama queens. They're actually not hypochondriacs. They're not drama queens. Can you draw that analogy? What you mean by the stimulus gets cut off? Like scientifically, what are you referring to? Okay, so scientifically, um, every neurotransmission pathway in the body works on what's called a stimulus response, right? And just about every neuropathic pathway in the entire human body has a negative feedback loop as well. Something turns it on and something turns it off. So take, for example, I take a cute little um, eight-week-old puppy, put it in your lap. That's a stimulus. Guess what happens? You're like, oh my God, he's so cute. You're so soft. I love you, love you, love you. I'll snip his nose, sharp teeth. You know, you're cuddling it and you're like so happy. Flood of serotonin, flood of dopamine. You're like, this feels so good. I love this puppy. And um, then somebody takes the puppy away. Well, what happens is the neurotransmitter pathway checks that, says, okay, stimulus is gone. Remove, stimulus is gone. We remove the response. And you go back to feeling how you were, perfectly normal. Now, take that same thing and apply it to someone who who lacks the physiology or take that same thing and apply it to anger. Someone gets upset. There's a stimulus that starts a neuronal cascade of emotions. Stimulus dumps norepinephrine, dumps epinephrine. Now mad, now angry. You locked me out of the house. You called me a name. You hung up on me. Right? You didn't call me back. You texted me the wrong words. Now I have a stimulus. Right? But the stimulus is gone. Now the text message is this morning. 
right? Girlfriend locked you out of the house yesterday. The stimulus that the, the driver that cuts you off in the traffic is not sitting next to you. He's 40 lanes back. He's turned off. He's gone, right? The stimulus is gone, but you can't check the response. Mm -hmm. So what happens? It builds and it builds and it builds and it builds. And this happens over and over and over until your physiology has the capacity to check that stimulus. Mm. So, and this happens, I mean, I, let me promise you this. You show me somebody who aligns their passion, their purpose, and their physiology, I will show you someone that is immensely successful. Mm -hmm. When you, you look at some of my more public patients, like take a Grant Cardone or Alex Morton, you know, he's a young, uh, well, now he's 30, just left the millennial stage, I guess. Um, you know, these are globe-trotting entrepreneurs that have every reason to be stressed out, have travel schedules that would kill an army of people their age. Um, and Grant's a 62-year-old man. He looks like a 40-year-old man. He's as fit as a 30-year-old man, and he's got the capacity of someone half his age. Searing amounts of energy, searing amounts of passion, physiology matches his purpose, matches his passion, and he's just dominating. Yeah, you had mentioned uh, to look at his Instagram account, and you can almost see when he started working with you because he's looking better and younger and more. Yeah. I mean, that's just mind-blowing. So you, th there really is an anti-aging. Uh, uh, can, can you talk a little bit about that? Because I know you've, you've got a lot of... Um, sure. I mean, that's, that's the science that I'm absolutely fascinated with is anti-aging. Um, and we got to define that because it gets all these nebulous terms. Um, anti-aging isn't just looking better, right? Or else a, a facial would be anti-aging and a facial is not anti-aging. Facial is cosmetic. Anti-aging means that at a cellular level, I improve and I slow down or even reverse the cellular aging process. And so how do you do that? Well, first what you do is you dial in your basic biometric function. You see, most of us have a body that's trying to dig a hole. It just doesn't have a shovel. Hmm. What I mean is most of us have a, a body that wants to work it wants to make good hormones. It wants you to sleep well. It wants you to wake up with energy. It wants to transport oxygen well. It just lacks a couple basic things. And unless we ask it what it's missing, we never figure it out. And the funniest thing I find just so ironic is that most of us value where we get our information, right? I mean, my partner, Grant, people listen to Grant Cardone because he's a real estate billionaire. He's built successful businesses. He can teach you how to sell your way out of anything. So you go to him for information on those things, right? And, and you know, we go to coaches for information on how to play the game. But when it comes to our health, we take everybody's opinion except our own. We take everybody's opinion except the opinion of our own biome. Mm. So you could sit down with your body ask it a list of questions, it's called a blood panel, get a set of biomarkers, and it will give you a very specific roadmap on exactly what to do to make it healthy. It's gonna say, like if you sat down with your physiology and said, listen, Peter, uh, what, can I, what can I do for you? Just like what happened between us and how I knew so much about what was going on inside your body. Your body answered a whole set of questions I asked it. I asked it through biomarkers. And when I asked it those questions, it said, you know what? I really need some D3. I need some DHEA because I'm having a hell of a time building hormones. 
Um, I'd like to raise my red blood cell count because there's just not enough oxygen to go around. I've got some digestive issues and I'm dehydrated. You fix that and I'll do, and here's what I'll do for you. I'll improve your sleep, I'll improve your exercise performance, I'll increase your waking energy, I'll improve your cognitive function and all that passion and all that fun stuff you keep reading about gratitude and self-help and motivational, I'll give you the physiology to experience that all the time. Mm. That's the trade-off. That's mind-blowing. Yeah. Um, what's the what's the the world that I'm kind of coming from is that more personal development uh, world that's very it's mind based and psychology you know psychology based. So for yeah. example, somebody I work with a lot of guys who have anger issues, and we'll go down a psychology path to figure out you know where some of their psychological triggers reside, perhaps even in their subconscious and and childhood stories and all that kind of stuff. But really, what, yeah, I was just going to say. Yeah. I'm sorry, so, say that again. I said I'll tell you exactly where they reside. Yep. Exactly. They reside in something called MTHFR. Methyl tetrahydrofolate reductase. You show me a human being that has anxiety, depression, or anger issues, and I will show you a human being that cannot methylate folic acid. Excuse Methylation me. is the process the body goes through to create the building blocks for emotion. So we have developed all of these weird ways of explaining something we don't understand. For example, they'll say, oh, you inherited your father's temper. Oh, you inherited your mom. You worry just like your mom, right? You're depressed just like your sister was. Well, you don't inherit depression or worry, anger, or short temper. You don't inherit anger management issues. You inherit the lack of ability to methylate the compounds that stop anger from happening. Wow. You inherit the lack of ability to methylate compounds that cause depression. If you have someone that's listening to this episode, I'm gonna change their life right now. Let's do it. If you have depression, if you have anxiety, or you have anger management issues, I am actually getting covered in goosebumps saying this, I don't know if you can see them, but I want you to Google MTHFR. I want you to Google that. And I want you to tell me if that does not sound like it was written specifically for you. Mm. And I will tell you this, if you have depression or anxiety or anger management issues, someone in your immediate family also has the same thing. Mm. Guarantee it's a parent and I guarantee you it's a sibling. And what do you do? You can supplement for it and cut it to zero. To zero. If you go on my website, you will read testimonial after testimonial after testimonial with people with anxiety so bad they thought about suicide, with anger management issues so rampant they couldn't hold down a job and they couldn't keep a relationship together, whose anxiety and anger management has gone down by 85% or gone to zero. Damn. Yeah. That's okay. So, what is walk us through the science of that? What's actually happening? To chemically, yeah. So think about this, okay? So here's exactly what happens, okay? One of the most prevalent nutrients in the entire human diet and the entire human in, in, in the United States is called folic acid, okay? Folic acid is, is in the grain supply. Uh, the government requires that all grains are fortified with folic acid. Well, guess what? 50% of the population cannot properly methylate folic acid. What, what does methylate mean again? again? What does that mean? Okay, so let me explain methylation. It's a complicated concept, but here's how I explain it. 
everything that we take into the human body, okay, virtually nothing that we take into the human body is used in the form that we take it in. Mm -hmm. I'll give you an example. Everybody's heard of B12, right? Okay. B12 is a metal. It's the cobalt metal. When a cobalt metal is put into the human body, it's called cobalamin. Okay. But cobalamin just doesn't float around the bloodstream. Cobalamin is a trailer. It's attached to a truck and the truck drives it around the bloodstream until the body needs it. And when the body needs that metal, the truck and the trailer separate the cobalamin, the go the trailer goes into a biologic process and the truck leaves as waste. So let's say that you have B12, which is called methylcobalamin, or actually there's a cyanocobalamin, hydroxycobalamin, even an adenosylcobalamin. But let's just take methylcobalamin for a second. Methyl is the truck, cobalamin is the B12, is the trailer. What if I need to get to that trailer, but I cannot separate the truck and the trailer? I cannot methylate those two. Mm. And it's as if that B12 never existed. Mm. If I can't pull it off, it never existed. So what happens? I need it, but I'm deficient in it because I can't methylate that compound. Mm -hmm. So if I can't separate the truck and trailer, then it's as if the trailer never showed up in my blood. Mm. Take folic acid, for example. Folic acid breaks down into something called methylfolate. If I can't break folic acid down into methylfolate, it rises in my bloodstream as something called homocysteine. Homocysteine is 75% of the reason why we have untriggered anxiety. Hmm. And if you think that I'm close to the mark, I will hit the mark with this comment right here. The hallmark of anxiety triggered by lack of methylation is that the anxiety is untriggered meaning you cannot point to the source. So for example, if, if you're um, uh, claustrophobic and you step onto a crowded elevator, I would expect you to have an anxiety attack. Mm -hmm. If you're afraid of heights and you walk out on a 34 balcony and look down, I expect you to have an anxiety attack. But if you wake up in the morning feeling anxious, you drive home from work and you feel anxiety or anxious or heaven forbid you have a panic attack, or you've been told that you have generalized depression you're just generally depressed but you can't point to the trigger that is methylation mm. and if you have that scenario you absolutely have a family member that has that scenario mm. here's the second part you've had it since you were a kid mm. you've had it since you were a kid you've always had the gene that makes it you unable to methylate that folic acid and the people that are listening to this that know what i'm talking about know what i'm talking about yeah. Oh man. I mean, you're, you're, again, you're blowing my mind. This is truly changing lives. People who are yeah. in lives in depressed states. Oh my God. I mean, I'm telling you so many patients, What's so that? many patients. It's just mind numbing to me. Think about this. 85% of postpartum depression in pregnant females is related to their prenatal vitamin. Why? What's in a prenatal vitamin? 400% of the folic acid, the recommended daily allowance of folic acid. Some of them have 1,400%. So take a woman that's pregnant that can't methylate folic acid and give her 1,400% of the regular dose of folic acid because her OBGYN says you need this to have a healthy baby. So she's doing the right thing for her child. And she goes nuts. And everybody says, well, it's her hormones. Her hormones are all. 
Her hormones aren't off. She's like every other female. They're supposed to have estrogen at 2,500. They're supposed to have progesterone, you know, four times what it is in the normal rate. They're pregnant. Their hormones are supposed to be all over the place. They're not supposed to go crazy. They go crazy because they overdose with folic acid. Wow. And then they can't metabolize. Oh, they can't metabolize it and they're out of their mind. If you talk to a pregnant female that's taken a prenatal vitamin and really felt that anxiety, that depression, that postpartum depression, it is very real. It is very visceral. And then it's this fast to solve. Golly. So I did have anxiety goes to zero. That's amazing. I had somebody else, this might be a good time to just ask you this question about menopause. Because uh, I asked to my Facebook uh, yeah. you know, community and somebody had asked about menopause. Is there a similar, is there a connection between sort of that transition as well? And no, no question. So, so in menopause, three things are going on, right? Um, in menopause, remember that when we look at female hormone therapy or we look at female hormones, what we want to stop doing is we want to stop looking at the number right? Because it's perfectly normal for a woman to have estrogen in the 400s. It's perfectly normal to have estrogen in the teens. Normal, depending on what part of her cycle she's in. So who's to say that 179 or 200 or 320 or, or 17 is normal or abnormal? You can't. What you have to do is you have to look at the ratio. The ratio between hormones. There is a balance between estrogen and progesterone that must be maintained. When that's out of balance, it's called estrogen dominance. One hormone dominates the other hormone. And this happens in menopause, why? Because menopause is like all the hormones going into retirement, okay? But it's not like all the hormones get together in a conference room one day and like say, hey girls, it's been a great, you know, 50 years. <laughs> I'm going to Cancun, where are you guys going? We're out, you know, and then everybody just leaves the building at the same time. That's not how it goes. Estrogen says, I like this gig. I'm going to stick around. I'm going to keep going through the cycle. And progesterone says, I'm out. I'm retiring. Guess what happens now? Progesterone starts to retire. Estrogen keeps going. Mm. Now you have estrogen dominance, whereas normally before menopause, they were in phase. So you restore the ratio. Don't treat the number, the balance. Now, I do have to disclose, I'm not a physician. I'm a blood chemist. I'm a human biologist. So we have a un, an absolutely unbelievable allopathic team. I have a full-time OBGYN, full-time anesthesiologist, pain management physician, um, a neurosurgeon joining the team. We just added a board-certified internist who's a supplement expert, all with an orientation towards wellness like I'm talking to you right now. Mm-hmm. Now, I may train them to read labs in a certain way, but they prescribe the medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, let's, uh, I, way back earlier in this conversation, I derailed us from the, the biological chain conversation that we were having. And you started to talk yeah. about, uh, where does blood come from and the bone marrow? And then there was something before that even. Yeah. So, so let's look at this. Um, I'm going to draw real quick here. Um, are they going to be able to see this? I, uh, I can translate, uh, visually for those that are just listening. Oh, okay. So, so then I'll just try to do it as, um, what I, what I always draw is I draw a tree, right? The leaves up here and then you got the soil and you get the roots way down here. Mm-hmm. So no matter what a patient says, I convert what they're saying to physiology. So you say to me, Gary, I just tired all the time. You know, I don't have a lot of energy. I go, okay, you're low on oxygen. Okay. So that's what, that's how, what I'm hearing. Um, and I don't sleep well. Okay. Your blood's hypoxic. 
Um, so now let's trace that back to the roots. What's the deepest, deepest, deepest you can go into the soil? Vitamin D3, cholecalciferol, the sunshine vitamin. You see, there's hundreds of vitamins in your bloodstream right now. And everybody listening to this podcast has hundreds of vitamins circulating in their blood right now. Well, guess how many a human being can make? One. The human body can only manufacture one vitamin. How important do you think that vitamin is to human function? Mm, it's incredible. So if you believe in evolution, we evolved to be able to make one vitamin. If you believe in creation... God created us with the ability to make one vitamin. Either way, we can only make one. Mm. Vitamin D3, we make it from sunlight and cholesterol. So let's think about how powerful sunlight is for human beings. First of all, I used to be a mortality expert. If you look at population mortality, the longest life expectancies are, are centered right around the equator of the earth. That's a fact, right in the equator of the earth. For every 20 degrees latitude that you move away from the equator, life expectancy drops. In fact, it continues to drop until you get to the poles where the lowest life expectancy in human beings is found in Eskimos. When I was born in 1970, an Eskimo was supposed to live into their 50s, wow. right? I'd have a few years left. I'm 50 now. So I'd have a few, just a few years left. So, so that's how important sunlight is. Wow. How powerful is sunlight? Well, in two minutes, the sun puts enough energy onto the earth to equal all of the energy produced by humanity, the balance of the year. So in an entire year, our planet as a whole creates the same amount of output as the sun creates in two minutes. Hmm. Okay. So that drives vitamin D3. If you're deficient in vitamin D3, you are going to have, or very likely to have a deficiency in something called DHEA, dihydroepiandrosterone. DHEA is the raw material to build hormones. So here's where a lot of hormone clinics and, and, and doctors that just pull hormone levels go wrong, right? Um, when someone is low on hormones, why not find out if they have the raw material, right? If you're gonna build a house, um, if you're gonna build a house and you have a beautiful lot and you got a great architect, you got plenty of money in the bank and you got an awesome builder, guess what's not gonna happen if nobody drops off raw materials? Nothing's gonna, that house is not gonna get built. You gotta drop off two by fours and shingles. It's the same way with the endocrine system. There's nothing wrong with the endocrine system. They're able to build, they got the resources, they've got the money, they've got the people, they're all ready to go. You are just not giving it the raw material. Mm -hmm. So now you give it D3 and you give it DHEA and you watch what happens to testosterone and free testosterone. I have an 81-year-old female that's given me permission to use her labs. If we had time on this podcast, I would show you her before and after labs, eight weeks apart, because it's easy to show a 30-year-old male, 25-year-old female. Everybody goes, okay, I get it. They're healthy. I'll show you an 81-year-old female, floored out testosterone, no libido, foggy, tired, sick, cranky, sleeping 14 hours a day, a cranky, tired old woman, right? Eight weeks later, her testosterone went from less than three to 30. Her sex life resumed with her husband. I know her son didn't want to hear that, but, um, and, and her blood count skyrocketed. She is out of her mind with energy. Why? Because now testosterone puts pressure on the bone marrow to, to, to engage in erythropoiesis. Erythropoiesis is the production of healthy red blood cells and hemoglobin. Now, you also have to make sure that you have the nutrients there to build blood cells, which is iron bisglycinate, um, B6, B12, and methylfolate. 
And now the bone marrow starts spitting out healthy red blood cells. Well, what do red blood cells do? They carry oxygen. So as more of those enter the bloodstream, guess what happens to the person's waking energy? It skyrockets. And the odd thing is their energy goes up and what happens to sleep? It improves. They can finally enter a delta wave of sleep because they're not suffocating because their oxygen is so low. Mm. I have a physician and I'm almost ready to release his name, but we are about to sign an agreement. I flew from Miami, Florida to Dallas, Texas, next to a physician who had 41 employees in a family medicine practice. He was a sleep apnea specialist. And I sat down next to him on the flight. He was in the middle seat and I was in the aisle. So I trapped him, put my tray table down and blocked his exit. And, uh, <laughs> and my fiance was on the same flight. She sat behind me and she heard him tell me that he was a physician, a sleep apnea specialist. And she there put her, go. she whispered between the seats. She goes, he's gonna eat your face. Get out of you still can. And so, first question I asked him, I said, well, since you're a sleep apnea expert, you know, why is it that people that are the most exhausted can't sleep? Couldn't answer the question. I said, you know, and then I explained the hypoxic pathways, both related to low blood oxygen. What if we restored the blood oxygen, cured the sleep apnea, and then cured the low energy level, right? There is not a single, if there's a doctor on this podcast, I defy you to tell me a single disease etiological pathway that is not aggravated by low blood oxygen. Hmm. So hmm. why would we not just restore biometric function? I mean, I don't know if you can tell just on this call. I'm out of my mind with oxygen. I pull my blood every 30 days and dial myself in. I mean, I can barely sit still. I'm I, I can barely sit still listening to this myself. I, I, <laughs> I, there's so much inf uh, fascinating stuff in here. So on the sleep apnea thing, if somebody actually has a blockage of air pathway when they relax, you know, they snore, mm -hmm. does it, wouldn't that, if, I mean, even if your even if your blood biochemically you're good, but you're just not actually getting there. How, yep. how do you solve there that? There are very few instances, but there are some instances of true um, obstructive sleep apnea. But think about what's obstructing the airway and when did it start? So it's just like, so muscles in our body, sphincters in our body, and I don't, now that I've said sphincter, I don't need to name what we're talking about. Right. We weren't born with the ability to control that. We learned to control that. Mm -hmm. Right. So what happens as we are subconscious and we keep our glottal folds from retreating? Well, we're, we're, we're controlling the fact that they don't relax to the point where they fall to the back of our airway. I mean, why, if our nose is blocked, why don't we close our mouth? Because, because even subconsciously while we're sleeping, our mouth will open. But what happens is, People are slowly becoming, it's like a plane coming in for a landing. It doesn't go straight into the ground. They don't notice that they're coasting down. Let me promise you, 50% of the people listening, listening to this podcast right now have forgotten what it likes to feel, feels like to be normal. They've forgotten, right? The only time that they remember what it's like to be normal is when they get sick. And then three days later, after having the stomach flu, they go back to feeling normal. Then they respect how good normal feels. Mm -hmm. But your true biometric normal is as far away from where you are right now as it as that normal was when you were sick. I, if I could just interrupt real quick, I was telling you on our call, I was just uh, in the mountains for Christmas and uh, got altitude sickness or whatever. They brought in an oxygen machine, plugged me up to it overnight. I woke up that next day and I thought I was high on something. It was like this and it was scary. 
it was scary to, like you just said, it was so far and above beyond my normal kind of, you know, sort of kind of groggy or like kind of push through it. I'll get, you know. Yeah. If you remember on the lab different. before you told me that you said, I got a really good night's sleep and I felt amazing the next day. I said, well, let me just interpret that for you. You got a really good night's sleep and you breathed a lot of oxygen that night. Yes. And then you told me you'd actually put on an oxygen mask. Yes, correct. That's how certain it is. Yes. Right? This is what I, you know, on, on uh, I think it's February 3rd, 4th and 5th. There's a, I'm in Naples, Florida. There's a summit here called the Top Summit. And all these entrepreneurs and go-getters and like uh, top performers, um, uh, entrepreneurs from all over the world, men and women are coming into Naples, hundreds of them, paying $1,000 for three days to listen to speakers, um, phenomenal speakers. In fact, half of the stage are my patients. And they're going to learn the right way to motivate themselves, how to wake in gratitude, how to pick their passion, how to drive their purpose, how to find out what their purpose is. They're gonna find out how to remove the roadblocks from their roadway to success. And I'm spending an hour talking about how success is in your blood. How success mm. is in your blood. Because mm. if you leave that conference and don't fix your physiology, your passion and your purpose won't matter. Mm. Because your physiology drag you back down into the state in which it's decided you will exist. Mm. And we know lots and lots and lots of people like this. Yep. We always think there's something wrong with them in the head. There's something wrong with them in the body, in the blood. And it's very easy to fix. Well, when you think about just, you know, class systems and you look at the, the, the nutrition and what they're probably getting biochemically, you could, you could probably raise a whole generation. That's just exactly my, my purpose in life, my absolute purpose in life. Like when I tell you I get high from these presentations, just talking to people like you and knowing that people are listening, yeah. I really do. I mean, it's, it's like I have a neuronal cascade going on right now that's better than any drug you could ever get addicted to in your life. And, you know, I talked to a lot of my entrepreneurs and successful coaches, like, you know, the Grant Cardones. Um, this weekend, I'll be at the uh, Super Bowl on Radio Row announcing our partnership with the NFL Alumni Association. Oh, cool. and, and one of my favorite players, his name is Billy Davis. He's going to be with me, um, you know, going from Porter Station to Reporter Station. If you remember him, he's a Super Bowl champ. He was a running back for the Cowboys, went to the Super Bowl with the Cowboys, uh, then later uh, traded to the Ravens and won a Super Bowl with the Ravens as a running back. And I asked him, I said, I said, Billy, what was it when you were making that money and you were in front of that crowd and, and um, you know, you're in great condition, but you know, now all of a sudden that millionaire lifestyle kicked in, what kept you pushing yourself to be at the top of your game? Mm -hmm. I mean, I know you had passion. I know you had purpose. You, you certainly had to have the physiology. And one of the things that he described to me was just one of the most beautiful things I'd ever heard. Because what he said was, there's a moment when you're pumping down that field, right? When you're just, you know that you can't take step one micromillimeter faster, right? You're at 100%. And at the same time, you can hear the crowd. You're, you're alert enough that you can hear the crowd. Sometimes he'd even pick out a single voice, go Billy, just a single voice. And down the field, he noticed that there was somebody standing with a trumpet too close to the sideline. If he stepped out right there, he's going to hit that guy. At the same time, he knew there was a defender coming across the field, full speed, not coming to give him a kiss, right? 
And he knew he had to put his hands up and grab that ball. He said in that instant, there was a cascade of emotion, neurons going through my body that was so visceral. I was so high, so clear, so alert from I can't describe it. But I chased that feeling like a rat to cheese, mm. better than anything I'd ever felt. Mm. And then I would catch that ball, I feel the pain in my ribs and it's gone. Mm. I'd get up and do it again. Mm. And I've talked to Grant Cardone about this, Tony Robbins. You know, these people, they get high when they're on stage. All that vibration, all that energy, all that emotion, that's coming into perfect physiology, matched with perfect passion, mm-hmm. propelled by a purpose. Mm. And I promise you, man, you get your listeners on that train, yeah. look out. Yeah. Um, in the zone, as we call it on the athletic field. Like yeah, that. That, that, that's a description of in the zone that I'd never heard before. I just was like, wow, that yeah. second was so addicting. He's like, why do you think LeBron James is doing that? He's worth a half a billion dollars. Now. Any steak dinner he wants, he any car he wants, he any house he wants, not doing it for money. Mm-hmm. What, what makes him get up every day and want it more than somebody else? Wow. Talk about translating things into physiology. I mean, you're talking about an actual physiological state of the height of the height of purpose and passion. And Oh, yeah. I mean, I love it. When I watch my patients, I, I move most of my patients up a level, sometimes two levels. And when you just move up a level and eight weeks later, you're like, what? I forgot how good it feels to feel this good. I say, that's just normal. That's your regular normal. You just coasted down here. Mm. Right. Now you're back to where you're supposed to be. There's nothing extravagant about what's going on. Your body is doing what your body's doing best. Pharmaceutical free, drug free, yeah. just high on your own supply. Wow. Yeah. Man. Um, wanted to talk to you a little bit about uh, detox and uh, some of the fascinating things that you had shared with me on our call about the liver and fat loss. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's all I got. Okay, <laughs> that's, that's you. You got to take so, it. So let's first of all, I'm going to talk about detox in a second because I'm not a huge fan of detoxing, um, and I'll tell you why. But um, the liver is the only place in the human body where fat is mobilized or metabolized. Okay, there's only one place in the body where liver, where where fat's broken down. Okay, and that's in the liver. So if you don't give the liver what it needs to engage in fatty acid metabolism, then your chances of burning fat are really pretty minimal. And, and I'm gonna lay out a couple of physiological laws, right? There's laws in physics, okay? There's also laws in the human body. And, and if you're an engineer, you know that there's certain laws I just can't violate, right? I mean, if I'm an aeronautical engineer, there's, a, there's the physics of flight, and there are certain laws I just have to obey, okay? In the body, there's the same way. And one of them has to do with how our body prioritizes energy. No matter what you read in the bro-science community, there are no exceptions to these rules, okay? Number one is your body will prioritize over any other energy source, glucose. So if there's sugar in your blood, your body will always burn the sugar first before it switches to any other form of energy utilization. How does it do that? Well, when when there's sugar, high glucose in your blood, you secrete insulin and insulin starts to rise. Most people think that the primary role of insulin is to reduce blood sugar, but that's actually not insulin's primary role. Insulin's primary job is to block you from using any other form of energy. So what does that mean? That means that when insulin is present in your bloodstream, you cannot burn fat. Your body cannot enter the fatty acid pathway with insulin present, period. 
So the people that have the highest blood fat eat the highest amount of sugar. The people that eat the lowest amount of sugar have the lowest amount of blood fat. I'm a ketogenic dieter. I have the same blood fat as a vegan. If you don't believe me, you can go to at Gary Brecca on Instagram. I don't, I don't uh, sell anything there. I just try to espouse good scientific uh, based um, support material. But I post my blood labs there every 30 days because I believe you should practice what you preach. I get 75% of my caloric intake from fat and I have the same blood fat as a vegan. So my, my mm. triglycerides are generally below 45. In any case, so the number one is glucose. So if you have glucose in the blood, you can't use any other form of energy. The question is, let's say you wake up fasting. Okay, so gl glucose is very, very low and you go exercise and um, your uh, blood sugar starts to drop. Well, what happens when you don't have any more glucose in your blood? There's a second form of energy. It's a stored form of energy called glycogen. That's in your liver, stored in your liver and your muscles. You have about a 20 minute reserve of glycogen. When that's gone, you go to your third resource. It's either gonna be fat or it's gonna be lean muscle. Fat takes five to six hours to mobilize. Lean muscle takes three minutes. Mm. So if you're exercising intensely in a fasted state, where do you think your body's getting energy? Muscle. Muscle. And my patients say to me all the time, Gary, I don't get it. I wake up fasted, especially women. I have a cup of black coffee. I go to Orange Theory or I go to this boot camp. I go hammer down for 55 minutes. I do that five days a week. I've been doing it for three months and I have not lost a single pound. Mm. What is going on? I don't understand. I'm not even eating. I go, well, you're not eating, <laughs> but your body is. It's just eating you. Mm. Because what you've done is you've forced your body to burn lean muscle tissue to fuel itself. So during your exercise, you're burning lean muscle. And at night, you're building it back. And then the next day, you burn lean muscle. And then at night, you build it back. And then you burn lean muscle and build it back. And who wants to do that? Right, so there are specific ways to access fatty acid metabolism, and one of them is through the liver. We can trick the body into stop burning the lean muscle and switch to fatty acid metabolism. How do you do that? I knew you would ask that. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is why I get paid the big money. <laughs> <laughs> this is why you get paid the big money to yeah. every 15 how, minutes how say, <laughs> how do you do that? <laughs> um, so one of the best ways to do it, I'm, I'm going to talk about first in a fasted state and then in a non-fasted state. In a non-fasted state, Tim Ferriss, this is not uh, uh, my science, he, he wrote a book called The Four-Hour Body, very, very valid science. The fastest way to do it in a non-fasted state is by doing something called 30, 30, 30, 30. grams of protein within 30 minutes of waking, followed by 30 minutes of steady state cardiovascular exercise. What will that do? First of all, what is steady state cardio? Steady state cardio is where your heart rate is at or below 130 beats per minute. Think about Across the board, no matter how big you are, no matter man, woman, okay. 135, maybe 132, 136, but not 160, right? Every treadmill in the United States of America has the same thirds divided on it because it's by federal law. The first third says fat burn. The second third says aerobic. The third third says cardio. 90% of my patients are exercising to be cardiovascularly conditioned but they want to burn fat. Mm -hmm. Their exercise and their goals are diametrically opposed. Mm. Cardiovascular conditioning and fat metabolism don't go to the same parties. They mm. don't even like each other. <laughs> what is cardiovascular conditioning? Cardiovascular conditioning is high heart rate cardiovascular exercise, 
What does that do? It causes a buildup of lactic acid. What does lactic acid do? Irritates the tips of the capillaries and causes them to branch. It's called angiogenesis. It creates new arterial branches. Well, why is that important? Because that means you carry more oxygen to that tissue and are therefore more cardiovascularly conditioned. Hmm. So if you want to be in great cardio shape, you want to run a marathon, you want to improve your 5K speed, you want to you know, um, uh, do a triathlon, you're going to have to give up some lean muscle because you're going to burn some lean muscle. That's why I used to be a triathlete. 2010, I was the age group champion for the state of Florida amateur um, in my division. And every guy that I raced with was skinny fat. Do you know what I mean by skinny fat? Just kind yeah. of like lean and squishy. Right? Yep. But let's say that your goal is not to improve your half marathon time or to you know, run an Ironman, complete an Ironman. Your goal is to be lean and fit. Well, then you want to drop your heart rate into the fat burn zone, which is very hard to do for a lot of people. Because what I don't want my body to think is that I need an emergency dump of energy now. Because if your body needs fuel now, it will go get it by eating you. You have to remember that mm. our brain and our body is very, very primal. We'd like to think the brain is very sophisticated, but it is primal. It cares about one thing. It cares about survival. And it is a nasty, ruthless dictator that puts itself first every time. It's like the Kim Jong-un of dictators. <laughs> so for example, if your brain needs calcium and you don't give it calcium, it will leach it from your bones. It doesn't care that it's giving you osteoporosis, it'll steal it from the bones. If it needs amino acids, it'll strip it from lean muscle tissue. It just goes into your body and walks around and just grabs whatever it wants off the shelf. So when I talk about restoring optimal biometric function, I talk about giving enough nutrients to the body so the brain is satisfied and leaves you alone and lets you go do all the other fun things. The same thing happens in the human biome. If you look at the body's number one priority, remember we said the brain's number one priority is blood oxygen. What's the body's number one priority? Digestion. Why? Because digestion equals survival. So why is intermittent fasting so healthy if the body's primary objective is digestion? Well, here's the answer. Because when food comes into the body, your body creates such a priority for that food that it will stop doing whatever it's doing, whatever it's engaged in, Cellular repair, detoxification, tissue repair, protein synthesis in the muscle, building nice lean muscles, repairing the collagen in your face, growing hair, all of those things. It will stop and it will focus on digestion. Why? Because digestion means survival. We weren't meant to have a refrigerator an arm's length away 24 hours a day. When we were created, we didn't know where our next meal was coming from. Mm -hmm. So we had to prioritize digestion. And digestion will always trump any other physiologic process in the body. Hmm. One of the reasons why St. Jude's Children's Hospital is using fasting in prepubescent teens is because they put them in a fasted state that can fight cancer because their body doesn't stop to digest a meal. It just stays on the cancer like a dog on a bone. We hmm. can do that with cellular repair, cognitive function, um, all sorts of physiologic processes in the body. So fasting works because you rearrange the priorities of the body. So if you want to put them back, just eat, you'll kill muscle repair and, 
and detoxification and all those pathways. So some of what I try to help people understand are just the basics, right? I mean, nothing that I've said today is really earth shattering. It may sound earth shattering, but conceptually it's very simple. It's, right. It's the basics of biometric function. Well, you have a real ability too to break down very complex things and put them into metaphor and that th- the average person like myself can understand. So um, I appreciate that a lot. Yeah. It, I, I kind of get it. I kind of feel like I'm, I'm understanding this, you know. Um, um, wanted to ask you, you had mentioned some things about uh, Alzheimer's and dementia and its connection to our, the myth of what we understand about memories. Oh, I would yeah. love to have you share your expertise on that. So remember I said that biometric function comes down to three things. Okay. Biometric function comes down to three things. So does optimal health, performance, longevity, lifespan, health span comes down to three things. Glycemic control, how well you control your blood sugar, hormone balance, and nutrient deficiencies. So let me make sure I'm picking the right thing. Yeah, that one's okay. <laughs> um, so let's talk about glycemic control. Um, blood sugar control. Everyone knows what happens when you become insulin resistant in the body. But there's a very strange concept in modern medicine that the body is here and the brain is over here. And somehow the two are not connected. But nothing could be further from the truth, right? So what happens when someone either develops diabetes or just has blood sugar control issues in the body? Well, blood sugar rises, insulin rises. The ends of the nerves hate blood sugar and they hate insulin. So if you've ever heard of somebody with diabetes that has something called peripheral neuropathy, right? That's where the nerves and the fingers and the toes get so irritated by insulin and glucose that they actually start to recede. Now think about this. The only reason why my brain knows that a toe is there is because there's a nerve telling it that there's tissue there. Mm-hmm. What happens when a nerve recedes? Guess what else recedes? It's right under it, the artery. When an artery backs up, now that tissue doesn't get any nutrients and it dies. It's called necrosis. Mm. That's why diabetics sometimes end in amputations. Now, I'm just, that's an extreme example. But, but that's how damaging blood sugar can be to nerves in the body. Now, let's go to the brain for a second. The brain is the most voracious consumer of carbohydrate in the body. 40% of all the carbohydrate you take into the body is consumed by the brain, right? It's, it's only a small fraction of your total weight, but 40% of the carbohydrates consumed there. It has a voracious appetite for carbohydrate. In fact, it can get addicted to carbohydrate very much the same way you can get addicted to alcohol, um, drugs, um, nicotine, or any other substance. Mm. So... Few people actually understand that the brain is so, uses so much carbohydrate that it can make its own insulin. So what happens when the brain becomes insulin resistant? Sugar starts to build up in the brain. Only the brain doesn't have a place to store it, like the liver or the muscles. So what does it do? It converts it to something called an amyloid plaque, and it stores it in the neurosynaptic junction, in the space between nerves. It starts to pack it in there. There's a term for this, and if you Google it, you'll see that this is some of the most valid science I've talked about this entire day. It's called type 3 diabetes. It's the only type of diabetes that nobody's heard about. Even though Mayo Clinic and Cleveland Clinic and and study after study after study after peer-reviewed study after peer-reviewed study has proven the link between glycemic index and Alzheimer's. Early onset 
Alzheimer's is sugar and dementia is sugar being stored in the brain in the form of an amyloid plaque. So what happens when this amyloid plaque builds up? Mm. It builds up in the junction, the gap between nerves. You see in the brain, a nerve runs down one path and it gets to a broken bridge and it has to jump a stream onto the next bridge and keep running, right? And on one side is your conscious and on the other side is your memory. And they don't touch, right? That nerve's got to jump that space that's filling up with amyloid plaques. So the misnomer about Alzheimer's and dementia is that people lose their memory. The truth is those people don't lose their memory. They lose access to their memory. There's a substantial difference. Huge difference, yeah. Between, yeah, I always use, I had a patient in my office the other day. I said, if you went across the street to that Walmart, bought a brand new vacuum, and brought it into my office and stuck it in the middle of the floor, is anything wrong with the vacuum? No. Is anything wrong with my electrical outlet in the wall? No. Why doesn't the vacuum work? Well, because it's not plugged in. Oh, because they're not connected. So I haven't lost the vacuum. I just haven't connected it to the power source, mm. right? So what happens when I remove the amyloid plaques from the neurosynaptic junction? I plug the vacuum in, mm-hmm. right? Memory, cognition comes back. Unless there's been, it's going on for years and years and years, and then you can actually get tissue atrophy. Once that plaque fills up and closes the junction, shuts down. Mm-hmm. But prior to that, the physiology, the pathology that builds those plaques up can erode those plaques out. Mm-hmm. You put those people on a virtually zero glycemic profile diet, prescription ketogenic diet, and you watch their cognitive function literally improve month over month. Wow. I promise you, somebody that's listening to this podcast that has either themselves or a loved one that has early onset Alzheimer's and dementia, you go pull their blood work right now and go look at the blood work that they had done months ago when the diagnosis was made. I promise you, you will see elevated glucose and something called hemoglobin A1C. Their three-month average blood sugar will be very elevated. You're going to go, why in the hell didn't the doctor tell me this? Right. Jeez. I mean, my my, my grandmother is very sound science. My grandmother had it. Um, she's passed since, but um, man, that would have completely changed the end of change like, her entire whole life. By the way, it starts in your 30s, 40s, 50s. What's so that? It starts in your 30s, 40s, and 50s. It's a slow process, mm. right? First, you can't find your keys. Then you can't find your wallet. Then you're parking in the neighbor's driveway. Then you find your phone in the freezer, right? Then you stop recognizing new friends, then you start recognizing old friends, then you lose touch with your family. So it's a progressive disease showing that something is going on. Amyloid plaques are accumulating. You know, modern science is focused on getting the amyloid plaques out of the neurosynaptic junction, right? Mm -hmm. But I say, well, why don't we stop them from getting there in the first place? Right. Right? So imagine that you got a house and you got a front door and a back door, they're the same size. And someone's bringing amyloid plaques in the front door. And modern medicine is grabbing them and taking them out the back door. But every few months, the size of the front door doubles. But the size of the back door stays the same. Hmm. And then it doubles again. And then it doubles again. Because this process accelerates. It's like a hockey stick. Hmm. right? Glycemic resistance accelerates. So what happens to the disease? It accelerates. Why would we not shut down the deposit of the plaques so that we can then remove the plaques and keep ahead of the game. 
Is, is that really what the genius is that you're talking about this entire conversation is that you're not looking at symptoms and trying to fix symptoms. You're looking at what is the root optimal functionality as a biologist, as opposed to a, a, a medical professional. I mean, yeah, I, know you're, I know you're in that category, but. Yeah, that, that's exactly it. It's that I, it's not that I don't believe in disease and pathology. I do. I just don't believe that it exists as often as we think, right? Yeah. And if we were, listen, our bodies were meant to thrive. God gave us everything that we need to be absolutely optimal, to have the libido of, of 10 men, to have a, a strong response to exercise, to have excellent cognitive function, to have a balanced mood. And what we've done is we've decimated it. And then what happens is when it breaks, we don't go back to restoring that biometric pathway. We go to pharmacology and we say, hey, fix this break. Mm -hmm. Instead of saying, hey, why did this break occur? Mm -hmm. Right? And optimal biometric function is within reach of all of us. And let me tell you one thing. It is not in some rare blue-green algae. It is not buried in the Amazon jungle, 40 feet underground in some freaky root that someone discovered that you need to shave and boil and turn into some powder that you take into your body. It's not in the superfood. In fact, I see more sensitivity and reactivity of superfoods than any other category of food on the planet. Oh, more than calcium. Wow. Right? And I don't spirulina, blue-green algae, acai, um, um, macaroon powder. Somehow, because it's ancient and rare, we think it's valuable and important to human function. God did not build us to need things that are scarce yeah. and rare to yeah. be optimal. The things that we need, sunlight, water, oxygen, hormone balance, glycemic control, lack of sugar. They're really, really available. Mm -hmm. And my old grad school professor is my favorite saying. He used to say, Gary, if you're 40 miles offshore and the boat is sinking, that is not the time to start tuning in the radio station. Right? But most of us are like, macaroon powder, turmeric, curcumin, CoQ10, the ubiquinol form of CoQ10. I need that. I need St. John's Word. I need um, licorice slippery on bark. I need this rare tea. I need this rare root. I need this rare berry. And I need some blue green algae. And none of it is important about magic. Wow. <laughs> oh, man. God, yeah. I, I knew this was going to be earth shattering. Uh, and I know that this is going to be changing lives. Um, thank you so much for your time today. But I don't want to leave people hanging. What are some common basic things that they can go do right now? And, and what uh, can they do if they want to get in, in touch with you and, and work with you? Okay. I'll tell you something. I'll tell you some things that they can do, um, you know, without even working with me because I, I always, I, I'm always suspect when, you know, guru gets on and is like, Hey, well go to my website and buy my right. supplement. I don't have any supplements to sell. Um, I will look at your blood work, but I don't have supplements to sell. Um, but uh, here's, here's three things that you can do. Okay. Um, I also consider myself a biohacker. I'm fascinated by the human biome and how we can use our own biometric function on a day-to-day -day basis to get ourselves ahead. So tomorrow morning, I'm gonna teach you how to do something that's gonna make you bulletproof for the rest of the day, okay? Um, the first thing we're gonna do, um, if you're not already doing this, we're gonna start with a cold shower. And it's not a cold shower because a cold shower wakes you up, okay? If you don't have access um, to an infrared sauna, then you can use a shower. The reason for this is there is a special type of protein locked inside of your liver. You're welcome to Google these. They are called heat shock proteins and cold shock proteins. This is very valid science. When you release heat shock or cold shock proteins, what these do is they flood the bloodstream 
scour the bloodstream of free radical oxidation, and they skyrocket the rate of protein synthesis. Why do you think athletes get in a tub of cold ice after competition? Number one, it shuts down inflammation and it vasoconstricts, but it also floods the body with cold shock proteins. 20 minutes in a sauna or 10 minutes in an ice cold shower will raise your level of cold shock proteins to the point where you start to feel the benefit throughout the day, okay? The second thing I would recommend is if you've never heard of it, um, the Iceman, Wim Hof, has a method of breathing that takes eight minutes in the morning. Oxygen is the root source of all life. In fact, every single human being on the planet dies of the same thing. We all die of hypoxia. The definition of death is lack of oxygen to the brain. So we're all gonna end because of lack of oxygen to the brain. So one of the things I like to do in the morning is I like to do three rounds of 30 breaths of Wim Hof breathing. You can look him up. He's the Iceman. I did not develop it. It's a very specific type of breathing that actually will change the oxygen tension in your tissues. You wanna talk about being high on your own supply tomorrow? Make sure you're laying down. A lot of people pass out when they do this. Don't worry, don't fear it. Don't do it while you're driving. You lay down, you go through these 30 breaths, you take a cold shower, and then I would implore you, other than coffee, water, or fats in your coffee, don't eat tomorrow until noon. Hmm. Wake up, and other than coffee with fats or water, don't eat until noon. Had an ice cold shower, a 20 minute infrared sauna, and three rounds of 30 breath breathing. You will tomorrow feel exactly what it's like to have changed a state for an entire day. Wow. Imagine if we could do that two or three levels above. Oh, man. Exciting. Free advice. <laughs> where, where, uh, invaluable, genuinely invaluable advice. Um, thank you for that. Where can somebody go if they want to connect specifically with Streamline Wellness? Uh, so if they want to connect with me or, or one of our clinical team, you can go to streamlinewellness.com. Streamlinewellness.com. Fantastic. Gary, this has been mind blowing. Thank you so much for your time, your wisdom and uh, your passion and your purpose to help elevate others. Cause um, th this really is the, the heart of what I want this podcast to be about. And you might be at the very start of that whole heart process. So again, thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, you're very welcome. And I hope your listeners get a lot out of it. And I hope to work with all of them on the blood work. I know you will. All right. <laughs> Thanks Gary. All right. Talk to you soon. Peter.